0: Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. So, this might not surprise you, but I really like stand-up comedy. Some of you think that I just come up here and do stand-up comedy for 20 minutes every Sunday. You're like, this is my practice ground for when I make it big. You'll see me on Comedy Central someday, I promise. (laughs) But I I listen to a lot of stand-up comedians. I actually watch a lot of stand-up comedians, you know, because everything's on social media now and one-minute snippets that I can actually pay attention to. But... There's a young stand-up comedian uh, named Taylor Tomlinson who's, like, fast rising on the list of funniest humans alive. Um, and I think that she's pretty hilarious, myself, personally. But what makes her hilarious is, is what makes every other comedian hilarious. It's the ability to relate certain, like, generally experienced truths to people and then make light of them, right? Right? And so Taylor is, is a younger member of the generation called Millennials, which I also happen to be a member of, just not the younger version, right? I'm, I'm an elder millennial, we call ourselves. I grew up without a computer for like two years. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, her, her humor resonates and relates to me. And so in one of her sketches, she talks about how bad at life Millennials are for the entire decade of our 20s, which has been my experience as a millennial who was in my 20s and had all friends who were millennials in our 20s. Millennials, generally speaking, are just not very good at the 20s, (laughs) right? That's a whole social commentary on its own that, you know, maybe we should get to, but not today, all right? All right. So, in a whimsical way, Taylor details all of the mistakes that we make in our 20s, and then she says, well, that's why you're thin in your 20s. You don't have a gut to listen to yet. (laughs) There's no mystic bad feeling under your ribs saying, hey, maybe don't date a DJ again. See, some of y'all get it. (laughs) (laughs) So my 20s were awash. <laughs> Maybe don't date the bass player, right? Or the drummer, <laughs> again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my, my 20s were not good. I was not doing good. Uh, but about two weeks after I turned 30, things started to look up for me. Coincidentally, I met my wife two weeks after I turned 30. I'll let you draw your own scientific conclusions about that. But uh, the point here is that that mystic feeling behind our ribs is a real thing, right? (laughs) Some call it intuition. Some call it our conscience. But in the faith of the church, we call it the Holy Spirit. So we're three weeks into our sermon series called We Believe in Love, where we are journeying through the historic Apostles' Creed, And looking at how the things that we profess to believe in as followers of Jesus, these beliefs that we deeply hold, how they are all rooted in God's love for us and the love that we are called to bring into the world. And so we've rooted this entire discussion in the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth where he says, you know, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but I do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I might boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And so what Paul is trying to tell us here is that our beliefs are empty and they're shallow if they are not backed up by a life of loving God and expressing that love through a way of living in this world that cares for others and cares for ourselves. Note, 20-year-olds, right? (laughs) And so today we begin to move through the part of the creed that is really like it it picks up speed and we just kind of mumble through it to get to the end, and it's really just all of these short, simple statements that have no explanation whatsoever, and because of that, I think that they are probably the statements in which there's the most confusion amongst Christians about what we're actually saying we believe in, and so I'm really excited about the next couple of weeks, and so today we look at the first of these statements, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit a lot as Christians, at least in passing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all this, right? But what is, or uh, more accurately, who is the Holy Spirit? Simply put, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, the Spirit is not some mystical force like in Star Wars, as much as I wish. That'd be awesome. That'd be so awesome. But the Spirit is even better. The Spirit is God, living and active in our world today. The Holy Spirit is the chief actor in our world. The Holy Spirit is is the glue that holds everything together. The church was born out of and empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit is active in the lives of all human beings. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God's grace that brings people to wonder and acknowledgement about their sin, the fact that we fail, and also to wonder and acknowledgement about the solution to all of that, our faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit enables us then to live new lives that fulfill the purposes of God in this world. So this is what we as as Methodists have tried to explain through a series of things called grace. Provenient grace, which means that God goes before us woos us, leads us to a life of faith in Christ, justifying grace where God has done something for us through the cross of Christ. And then sanctifying grace, this grace that leads us to a new life, God working in and through us. So essentially, the Holy Spirit takes us from being people who cannot fully, truly love God and love our neighbors, can't love ourselves, certainly can't love our enemies, to being people who are able to perfectly love God, to love our neighbors, love ourselves, and even love our enemies. Essentially, God takes us from being people who are unable, fundamentally incapable of fulfilling God's purpose to love the world, to sustaining us in our full ability to do so. So if all that sounds really complex, well, good, it is. Like, if you're like, yep, got it on the first try, you're smarter than me, so here we go. But this stuff is not meant to be like super easy to comprehend. Because God is, well, God's beyond our comprehension, right? So if you're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about, (laughs) that's all right. Let me tell you a story about the Holy Spirit, starting from, well, we'll start from the beginning of the story. See, at the beginning of all things, Scripture tells us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. See, at the very beginning of all things, when God was about to order the world, it was chaos, right? Nothing made any sense, it was just like this, this blob of chaos. And God was going to order it. And turn it into a life-promoting and life-sustaining place. And there was the Spirit of God. And this is really, really super important, because this means that the Holy Spirit is active in creation. The Holy Spirit is the creative force that allowed this world to sustain life. At this point, the world is not good yet. But it will become good as God, through the Holy Spirit, orders and creates it. And then shortly after this, God creates the first human and says, it says that God breathed the Spirit into him. And so this is really important. This means that humans are naturally imbued with this creative spirit. But as we know, uh, if you read past page two of the Bible, uh, things don't stay very good. Uh, they don't; they don't stay good at all, right? Human sin creates this inability to be led by this Spirit on our own, and the world really descends into darkness, like into madness, for a long, long time. It really still kind kind of is, right? But there are glimpses even in our Old Testament in these hebrew scriptures of the holy spirit at work in the lives of people. And the first person I love this part. I love this if Martha Martha will love this too. There she is. The first perp- person in the Bible that we are expressly told is empowered by the holy spirit is an artist. A man named Bezalel, who's the person that God ordained to build and adorn the tabernacle, the place that Israel worshipped God in, the place where God lived, the place where heaven and earth met. So the Holy Spirit came upon Bezalel in order to empower him to create this one little space in the world where heaven and earth, where God's space and human space intersected. And then a thousand and some years later, the Holy Spirit converged with humanity again in the womb of Mary of Nazareth, where God and humanity intersected in the creative activity of procreation so that God's space and human space could be joined in the person of Jesus Christ. And then at Jesus' baptism, he was like in his 20s, not really his 30s. He made it through his 20s. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit fell upon him further, empowering him and ordaining him to go forth into the world and announce that the kingdom of God was breaking into the kingdom of humans. Jesus announced that heaven and earth were soon to be one. And then after Jesus' death, that same Spirit came and fell upon the apostles On the day of Pentecost and empowered them to perform signs and wonders and to spread the same gospel that Jesus had spread, empowered them to be the creative force that promotes and sustains life in the world. You see, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, became a barrier-breaking force that united people of all different socioeconomic, ethnic, and racial and religious backgrounds. That's like a topic for uh, next week. So come back. We'll talk more. But the point here is that this is who the Spirit of God is. This is who the Holy Spirit is. She is the sustainer of God's good work in human lives and in the world. She is the agent that brings heaven and earth together. And this Spirit lives in each one of us. This spirit is that mystic feeling behind our ribs that guides us to live into our purpose in this world. It is the power that says, hey, don't do that. Don't do it. Do this instead. Or then when we still don't listen and we go and do that, it says, come back to God. Return." There is nothing that can separate you. This Holy Spirit is the gift that aids us in becoming human beings that more closely reflect the person of Christ. That aids us in becoming people who love the world in ways that God loves the world. There was a church in the first century in a place called Galatia. And um, they were in their 20s. (laughs) They were terrible. (laughs) They were so bad. (laughs) So bad that Paul dispenses with the niceties when addressing them and just says to them, I am astonished at how bad you are at life. (laughs) They fought bitterly over what was necessary for people to be a part of the community of faith. See, there's this growing faction of people amongst them that wanted to reinstitute all of the covenant laws that had governed Israel and the Jewish faith. And the Apostle Paul was deeply disturbed by this growing legalism amongst them. And so he writes to them to tell them that the only requirement for membership in the family of God is faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is the chief activator Of the Holy Spirit's ability to guide a person towards righteous and loving living. And this is what guides us towards living a life as creative people who make God's space and human space the same space. This is what makes it possible for humans to live differently and to have real meaningful change in our hearts. So, Paul writes to them in order to convince them, in order to encourage them, and he says this. He says, live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. What a list. It's like a soap opera. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul starts out with uh, the negative, right? It's like, here's the bad news. Here's who humans are. Here's who you are without the Holy Spirit. Just out there living according to the flesh, which creates all of the personal and communal destruction that you are experiencing here in this life. This is the problem that the Spirit solves. This is the reason that the law that you so desperately want to reinstitute existed to deter you from acting the way that you are naturally inclined to act without God's help. But as people who have the Spirit of God in and amongst you, the law should not be necessary because you should be so changed that these destructive tendencies are no longer the driving force in your new life. Instead, these should be the new tendencies that you have. So he goes on, he says, By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the source and the force behind our ability to love, to to live new lives. The, The Holy Spirit creates within us and then empowers us to go and live that creation newness of life out in the world. But I don't know about you, but uh, some of these ways of being, they're not always easy. Patience and gentleness are, they're tough. Maybe for you, self-control is the part of the fruit of the Spirit that eludes you. Maybe it's joy. Whatever it is, I think that this season that we're in, a season called Lent, where we prepare our hearts for the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, I think this is a good time for us to ask the Spirit to help us to do better, to resurrect the parts of us that are dead on the inside. See, we're only able to love the world as well as we love ourselves. And we believe in a God who loves us so much that he comes to live in and among us, to actively seek to empower us day in and day out to live a life of love. But our external witness to this world is only as strong as our internal witness to the Spirit of God. Our ability to love the world is dependent on our ability to listen to and follow that mystic feeling behind our ribs. And so what is like that one thing? Maybe many things. We'll start with one. What is the one thing that is truly affecting your ability to love? Is it that joy is just not present in your life? Is your heart consistently at war with someone or something? Are you short on patience? Now, be honest, I know that you all drive on US 1 right? Is kindness eluding you? Is, is your generosity fading? Are you unwilling to commit to what you know that you're supposed to be doing? Are you harsher than you care to be, especially with those that you love? Are you unable to say no to yourself when you really, really need to be saying No. This is a really good time to lean into the Holy Spirit, to pray directly to the Holy Spirit, to do a creative, life-promoting, and life-sustaining act inside of you today. I hate to be the one to break this to you, but the world around you probably isn't going to change on its own. But you, your heart towards it can change. Change. And when it does, you'll be astonished at the amount of change that your love can bring into this world. See, when Jesus came to this world, it was um, not much better than it is today. There was dissension amongst people. Socioeconomic classes were... Deeply separated. And Jesus went. And he found people from all of them. And he asked them to come and to follow him. People who wouldn't get along in any other society. Were brought together by Jesus. And Jesus on the night before he went to the cross. He invited them all to come and sit down. To have a meal with him knowing full well that one of them was about to betray him that one in a short 12 hours would deny ever knowing him one who in three short days would doubt that he could possibly come out of the grave and then nine others who deserted him as soon as he was arrested this jesus Invited these people to come to eat a meal. And before they ate, he washed their feet. This is the God that we celebrate at the table. And so after he washed his disciples' feet, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks to God. He broke the bread and he gave it to them. He said, This is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat. Then when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood. It's blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink, each of you. As often as you gather. At the table, we experience God's grace. At the table, we remember that God's love is open to all people. And at the table, we invite all who are willing, all who are seeking to come and partake in the grace of God. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you would be poured out on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Christ, And that, God, as we go from here, we would be your body poured out for the world to see. That there is so much more to this life than the pain of the human existence. That there is resurrection to be found in your name. That lives change when we bow our hearts before you. So send us out as one body in mission and ministry to your world. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.